want me to do a countdown? Yeah. Three, two, two one. one. Yay, Go. we're recording. Okay, yeah, that actually really did help. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm a creature of habit. I don't like I don't like change. I don't do I'm change. gonna leave my countdown in. FYI. I, I need the count. Oh, that's fine. I need I need the countdown. I require it. <laughs> So just say go. Okay, yeah, just no, no. I need a count. I need three, two, one, go. I need that. Like I require that in my like day-to-day life. It's like important. It's important. I'm I'm a structured person. I live out of a planner. I have eight different pen colors that I use to let me know what's happening at any given time during the day. I do not handle change well. Okay. When a pen runs out of ink, I have to immediately go to Walmart to replace. I'm telling you, next time you need new pins, I just got this multicolored pack of erasable pins and I love it. It's like amazing. Erasable pen technology has vastly improved since we were in like junior high. I was about to say, because I'm a little skeptical. I'm thinking of the, you remember the pins like we used, like the one black pen with the eraser and it only like smeared yeah, it everywhere? It was you know terrible. I yeah, hated the, the erasable pens when they first, when I first discovered them, but like their technology has vastly improved. I recommend this particular brand of okay, that, that's a podcast recommendation i have <laughs> i would like to personally investigate like erasable pen technology and the science oh. behind erasable pens versus pencils versus oh i'm sure there's going to be someone who comments on that podcast like or you can just use a pencil morons be like no sometimes you want a pen also i yes. hate the way pencil sounds on paper Oh, it could oh, be nice. God. It depends oh. on if you if you're like in the mood for that. But also speaking of the like, oh, you could just use a pencil. Like you know that joke of like um, NASA spent a million dollars trying to develop a pen that could write in zero gravity, and then the Russians just used a pencil. Well, it's it's not a very no, good I didn't joke. Know that joke. Okay, well, it's a joke, and that's the not very funny version of it. Um, <laughs> but it's a bad joke because you really can't use pencils on a space shuttle or international space station because it leaves graphite particles and graphite as a carbon substitute is very highly conductive. And so if it got in any of the little, I want to say orifices, but that's not the right word, but any of, like the shuttle orifices. If, but if it got in any of the like circuits or openings in the shuttle or space station, it could cause something to short circuit and be very, very bad. So it would be bad to use a pencil is my understanding. So you know, it actually is important. To I love develop. you so much. And you're like, <laughs> like my favorite person. And like, I just think so highly of you as like a human, but I just, why do you know that? <laughs> because it was a joke that went around like, Ooh, zero gravity pen would just make a pencil instead. But then people are like, no, that's not actually a, an acceptable substitute. But you know that graph graphite or graphene is layers of carbon that are pushed like they're in sheets of carbon rather than crystalline structures of carbon. Like that's, that's the difference between a pencil lead and a diamond is they're both just carbon, but depending on their chemical structure of how they're bound together is in carbon sheets or a carbon crystalline structure. You just, you're giving me faces. That's okay. Look, I, I, I can't write with a diamond. I know I can write with a pencil. Yeah. Can't write with a diamond. Because the layers of graphene can just kind of (laughs) slough off. I did not know that. I didn't know pencils and diamonds had anything in common, but yeah, the more you know. Straight carbon. <laughs> straight carbon, homie. Also, humans are made of carbon or something. Like we're carbon beings or. Yes, yes. Yeah, we're carbon based life, life forms. Like, yeah, there we go. See, look, I'm smart. I know the sciences. Um, even though 
My name is Katie, and I'm not a scientist. <laughs> uh, and with that ridiculous introduction, uh, my name is Erica, and I am a scientist. <laughs> and this is Southern Science. We make this on the fly, by the way. We never practice. I think that's. I thought it was a pretty cool intro. Over it, like I thought it was a cool intro. It was like a very good. Before we get started, though, Erica has an announcement, and I want her to tell everybody right now. So my announcement is that the job that I was invited to apply for that I mentioned on a previous episode, I have been actually offered the job and have accepted it and will therefore be staying in Shreveport for the next three-ish years. Um, Dance, dance, so excited. That means we're neighbors again for the first time since (laughs) high school, actually. Yes, we will actually be hanging out together again, and we are super excited about that. Making my house is in the same neighborhood because Erica wants to go somewhere where she's going to get murdered by the nature. I demand to live in the country. Yeah. And like, I refuse. Like, I want there to be like a person living on top of me at all times. No. Wants to go live in the middle of nowhere, but we will be driving to each other. Yes. That's what's important. It'll be amazing. Yes. If I could live on top of the casinos, I would do so. (laughs) No, as I prefer to live in like the middle of the field. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not a yeah, I'm the woods. It's woods are creepy, man. Like woods are, you know, you never know what you're hearing, what you're looking at. Like woods are creepy, creepy. man. Nah, they're fine. I watch too many horror films. Okay, so this week's episode, because are are we gonna do you think we're gonna have a chance to film again before Christmas? No, I think this is gonna be our Christmas episode. We can like record another one, but I think this is gonna be our Christmas episode. Sounds good. I like it. Okay, so what science are we learning about today? (laughs) So as I was thinking about Christmas, I was like, well, what is the most Christmassy thing to me? And you don't even like eggnog. I like rum. If there's enough rum in the eggnog, whereas I'm a lightweight and I have to mix my alcoholic eggnog with non-alcoholic eggnog to dilute it because it's too strong for me. (laughs) And it's only 17%, but yeah, yeah. it slowly turns into straight rum at the end of the night when I'm drinking with a (laughs) chip. Yeah. I'm like, man, my eggnog's (laughs) (laughs) see-through. It's a joy. All right. So what's your Christmas thing? Because eggnog is my Christmas thing. So my family used to do um, really big Christmas trees. Like that was our thing. Oh, I remember was, that. Was to get these like 20 foot plus tall Christmas trees and we would decorate them by we would put light lights all over them and we would just chuck Mardi Gras beads at them. And I don't know, Katie, where, did you ever come over and help oh, with yeah. the Mardi Gras? When I was dating your ever? brother, I came over once and did that. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's super fun because it's so tall. You can't put ornaments on part of it so you just have to throw stuff at it Stand and on the second floor and just go nuts this is louisiana so why not throw mardi gras beads so absolutely makes sense <laughs> we used to do that um but the supply of 20 foot tall christmas trees started getting a little limited and then also um we installed a new tile floor in the living room of my parents house and we're like i don't know if we want to put a giant christmas tree on the brand new tile floor makes sense. and that was that was the point where we started doing a net of Christmas lights, uh, basically as a false ceiling. So my parents have a two-story living room. And yeah. so we do this like layer of Christmas lights. We string, we string fishing line from one corner of the room to like the bottom of the balcony that overlooks the living room. And we create this like fake roof of just Christmas lights and ornaments. And it's really amazing. So that display of Christmas lights is really what 
makes me get in the holiday spirit. So that's super cool. And I haven't seen it. I apparently need to go back to see your parents' house pretty soon. Oh, you should. Yeah. Um, I'll post a picture of it on our fancy new Instagram. See Southern Science Chicks on Instagram. Oh my God. Definitely do that. Because I haven't decorated for Christmas in like 10 years. I think Brett and I tried <laughs> once. We got like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And we're like, God, even Aww. if it's too much work, we're lazy. But yeah, that's really cool. Okay. So like Christmas lights. I guess that's true. You know, one of the things I always remember as like a kid doing like with my dad is like driving around and like looking at Christmas lights. We just sit in the back of his truck and look at them. Lights are cool, man. Yeah. I think that's something that can be a, a real event for families is to go out and see Christmas lights either in neighborhoods or like places that put them up as a big deliberate display. Mm-hmm. So as far as our Christmas episode goes, I was thinking, what are nature's Christmas lights? Stars. <laughs> That's fair, but <laughs> they're a little hard to interact with. They are. <laughs> so they're very far away. Or if you're going for the Lion King reference, they're just fireflies that got trapped in that big bluish black thing. Firefly. Um, also, love the reference, but fi- oh my God, fireflies are the greatest bugs on the planet. <laughs> I love them. Yes. So that's what we're going to be talking about, is we're going to be talking about animals that glow. I am honestly very excited for this because I have so many questions. That's great. As a 31-year-old woman, to this day, I will chase fireflies into the woods. And you know I'm scared of woods. I just want (laughs) to touch it. I just want to touch it and figure out why, first of all, why there's a bug that glows. That seems very, like, not smart if you're trying to get a predator to not eat you. And then second of all, like, what makes it glow? I'm very interested in that. Because I'm telling you, I I was this way at four years old. I would chase fireflies. And at 31 years old, I will still chase a firefly if I see one. I'm like, what are you? I must catch you. And then they blink out like complete when you do catch them. They just turn off. Well, that's rude. Like, I'm not going to kill you or anything. I just want to look. Well, we we will answer the questions of both why they blink and what makes them blink. And also, I do have to say, you're definitely the easiest person for the fae to kidnap, apparently, if you just chase random lights into the woods. Oh, I definitely (laughs) do. I mean, I might be a fae. I don't know. I've got no idea. Like, I definitely chase random lights into the woods. Me. And I am terrified of nature. For anyone listening, I am terrified of nature. Like, I will never. Apparently, the, ooh, shiny works on Katie. That definitely works. Yeah. The, ooh, ooh, blinky. That works on me. I'm like, ooh. Yes. It's a bug that glows, man. Like that's shiny, cool, then not shiny. Shiny, that's then not shiny. Bug. It blinks. I'm like, I'm like, I, look, I just feel like we are one of the most evolved species on the planet, and I haven't figured out how to do that yet. That's true. So, I mean, as far as we know, people don't glow. Yeah. But we are learning more about glowing all the time. And I'll talk about that kind of towards the end of what we're talking. People glow. That's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> at this point generally yeah. yes it's artificial and there's yeah you're in the process of becoming the hulk and or dying so. yeah usually doesn't end well just watch chernobyl oh. yeah glowing's bad okay anyway yeah. okay so glow bugs so you okay. got fireflies so critters that glow yes um but up front i want to specify that there are different ways that things can glow and so um, the two main, ca- we're going to talk about three categories, two of which are the main categories that animals can glow, like the methods that they can glow. So the first would be luminescence. And luminescence is a light that's produced through a chemical reaction. And so bioluminescence would be a light produced by a chemical reaction in a living organism. And that is something that can produce its own light independently of any outside stimulus. And the alternative is fluorescence. 
Now, fluorescence means absorbing one wavelength of electromagnetic radiation. Usually light can be UV light and then emitting a different wavelength. So like if something absorbs UV light and then glows a different color, then that's fluorescence. Can now you the give me third, an example? Is that like a tan um, red? No, because that's emitting the UV light directly. Okay. So what we're going to be talking about Basically, like anything that you see that you shine a UV light on and then it glows like the like white cotton fibers in your shirt or whatever, and then they emit light that kind of counts as UV light because you can't see a black light. Anything that glows under a black light is fluorescence. What? (laughs) What? Go on. I feel you like I know the, what you're saying. You had the believer the black light jokes. <laughs> That's good to know. Now I know all sorts of potentially fluorescent <laughs> substances. <laughs> that answered my question. But I'm um, thinking more importantly, my true crime obsession. Like that's like when you throw the black light and you're like, oh God, someone died here. Right? Yes. Um, Is that what we're talking about? Is blood fluorescent? Blood oh. is not fluorescent. Okay. In crime shows, when they show you blood fluorescing, they're usually using a chemical that's called luminol or a derivative of luminol. I knew that. Okay. Yes. Yes. They spray. And, yes. They spray. Uh-huh. And the way they film that with the blood glowing uh, is not what you would see with your naked eyes. So like the camera isn't actually able to see that. You have to wear filtering goggles in order what? to be able to see the luminol glow. Nice. Okay. That, and you know that cause you used to work in a crime lab. Okay. Super cool. So, okay. So yeah. Okay. Anything you can see with a black light is that that's like the whole, like when you make like a, I'm thinking like Dwight Schrute from the office, like making stories with like <laughs> urine. Yeah. Yeah. Semen also, I think. You can do it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. So got that. Fluorescence is anything you can see under a black light. But the important thing about fluorescence is that it absorbs one wavelength of light and then emits a different wavelength of light. And for fluorescence, that only happens while the excitation wavelength is actually being applied to the substance. So like while the UV light as an example, is being applied to that. And then it's not like once you turn the black light off, your white shirt keeps glowing. That's true. Okay, cool. It stops. Right. So phosphorescence is, for one, does not appear to be a clearly defined term through much of the internet. But technically, phosphorescence is like fluorescence, but the emission lasts a lot longer than the original excitation wave being applied. Okay. So it's like as if you pl- uh, put on uh, light and then it kept glowing later. Mm-hmm. So usually phosphorescence is things like glow in the dark paint, where you, or you can uh, put yeah. light on and then they glow longer. So like the little stars you put on your bedroom yes, ceiling yes. or watch dials or stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Cool stuff. So that's phosphorescence, where it does take an external energy input to start the glowing, but the glowing can last longer than the original energy input lasts. So those are the three categories of... Okay. So the first one I want to talk about is bioluminescence, because Mm -hmm. it is what I consider true glowing. It is the... Fireflies. Yes, fireflies are bioluminescent. I do want to kind of start off with what like the biggest category of bioluminescent is and that is things that live in the deep ocean oh uh, oh but like so scary in the deep, things yes big scary things oh. so in the deep ocean 
there's no external light that's getting all the way down there. Um, the water's just too deep at that point. So uh, the primary source of light is actually bioluminescent organisms. And you know it's luminescence and not fluorescence because there's no other light that's making its way all the way down there. So we're thinking like anglerfish, you know? With I, the big- I know what that is. See, I told you you knew another bioluminescent organism. I wish I didn't. <laughs> there's also Apparently they're not super aggressive but god help me like they're scary, they scary. Nothing's like their teeth them. are scary yeah they're scary they look angry all the time they do and they're like by the but way also, here's my little fake hook get closer <laughs> i dare you here's a little lantern yeah. that's just hanging out there also firefly squid would you know, squid that also glows there's comb jellies and some jellyfish um what oh google, google Wait, okay. Yes. Say it again. Firefly squid. Firefly squid, they're like, I think they're little. They're like eight inches long, but they glow really pretty. <gasps> oh my God. That is precious. <laughs> oh, they have little dots. Okay. That is cute. Okay. Squid and general. These are cute. Okay. What else I got? Uh, comb jellies. So comb jellyfish, their bodies are translucent and then they glow. Parts of them glow on the inside. Also okay, really cute. That's super cool. I love jellyfish. That's my favorite sea animal. I have a picture of you like pointing at a tank full of jellyfish like I know super excited I just I get so excited by jellyfish because they don't look like they should exist I know I I know better than to touch them I did get drunk and try to touch one once it ended horribly for me (laughs) because the jellyfish apparently did not feel my good intentions and saw me as a threat some jellyfish are effectively immortal. They go through two life stages. I think one's called the polyp stage and the other is called the medusa stage. And basically they can cycle back and forth between those two life stages and essentially not die. They're kind of That's immortal. Amazing. Just like Google the immortal jellyfish. I think it'll come up. The immortal jellyfish. Let's see. The more I, I don't know. Pop, the second I typed in the immortal, it popped up. The immortal <laughs> jellyfish that resets when damaged. That's fascinating. It's called Teriposis dorni. That's interesting. It's actually a really pretty jellyfish too. Of course it is. Okay. But it goes from like this um, this sedentary, like kind of upside down looking part of its life form. And then it goes into a mobile, normal jellyfish looking life stage. Anyway, it's pretty cool. Anyway, distracted by jellyfish. We'll talk more about jellyfish later. Okay. Other bioluminescent things. There's aquatic bacteria. There's algae. Some that's really cool actually is that some squid and shrimp can actually like expel this luminescent mucus and it makes this cloud. It's called spew bioluminescence and it makes a cloud in front of them that glows and it's supposed to distract predators because they're like, ah, bright cloud. And then they, get- <laughs> <laughs> and they don't go eat the shrimp or whatever. So like a flashbang situation. Yes, actually, I think that's a pretty good analogy. As another defensive strategy, brittle stars, which are a type of starfish, they glow. They're like have really, really long, spindly legs. <laughs> I'm googling yeah. all of this. So they can actually detach one of their glowing arms and use it as a distraction for predators while they scoot away. I assume not glowing. Yeah, how much you would um, think. Oh, this is actually... And then they can regrow their arm later. Cute. And they come in different colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they there's a lot of different colors. running away. That's really funny. Okay, I like them. All right, neat. Okay. Yeah, so they make one arm glow, use it, throw it far away as a distraction, and then they scuttle away 
from the predators. Which is smart. I'm here for it. Go little starfish. <laughs> yeah. And then there's there's only one thing I saw. I mean, I think there's a few things, but it's pretty rare. Animals that can glow multiple colors. So like the railroad worm, which is actually a beetle larva, it can actually grow, glow two different colors. It's like a yellowish green on its body and then red on its head, um, just because it has different glowing chemicals. And we'll talk about what those chemicals are in a minute. Let's see. Oh, this thing is so cool. It's a rave worm. <laughs> yes. It's great. Oh my God. I can see these. Uh, like you can like, oh my, okay. This thing's pretty cool. Everybody should Google the railroad worm. That's <laughs> okay. Cool stuff. All right. But it's pretty unique because there aren't a lot of animals that can actually produce two different colors mm -hmm. of luminescence. So uh, even just looking at the deep sea critters, we can see that there's an array of reasons that things might want to glow, either to attract prey, like the anglerfish, to distract predators, it can be for camouflage. Like there's some, I think the firefly squid might be one of them, that it lights up in a silhouette that is not the silhouette of its actual body. So it, it, looks, yeah, I, it looks like stars, honestly. It, like they were showing pictures, it looks like light hitting the ocean. Right. And so like if you were a predator, you wouldn't know where the actual animal was yeah and they travel because it's not very confusing yeah it's cool man all right super cool and then outside of the ocean there's things like foxfire fungus which is very cool i recommend googling foxfire fungus it glows green it's super cool and definitely supernatural <laughs> sweet oh that's cool oh i would run the opposite direction <laughs> That's you def sure? that you are definitely not in Kansas anymore. If you see this, I know. Believe. You were in a like Skyrim level and bad. There place. are fairies actively trying to abduct you. If you see that, yeah. Are you a? Oh man, yeah. You were in a Skyrim level and you were <laughs> underground somehow, and it is bad. Yeah. Okay. Fox, well, Fox, speaking, Fox. Is that speaking the of underground man? levels? Uh, I didn't look it up, but I doubt it. I'm just saying, we did, a, we did an episode on mushrooms. I feel like we should just tell people if you, they're allowed to eat glowing fungus. I think the general rule, and this goes for alcohol too, if something glows in the dark, don't drink it or eat it. That's kind of a good rule. Don't drink it. It's a bad choice. <laughs> That's your PSA for the night. All right, continue. So we got glowing fungus. What else we got? And then also, you know, when you think of magical underground things, there's what they call the true glowworms which is actually a larva of a fungus gnat. So glowworms live in caves, specifically in Australia, New Zealand. There's eight species of glowworms and they glow this amazing blue green. And basically you walk into the cavern where the glowworms are and it looks like stars. They're just, they light up the entire cavern. It's beautiful. I've seen those pictures. I know people pay to go look at them. I would. They're beautiful. Yeah. It's like a thing. Yeah, people travel to see the glow worms, and I'm like, I'm not super into worms, but I would go see those worms because they are really pretty. Yeah, but like Katie said, the most famous of the glowing things would be fireflies. Yeah, they're the best. If you live kind of where we do, they're probably also called lightning bugs. Lightning um, bugs, yeah, that's true. Lightning bugs, <laughs> and not lightning bugs. Lightning bugs, fast. Fireflies are amazing. I'm hoping everyone's seen a firefly. I don't understand why people don't chase fireflies because they shouldn't exist. There aren't a lot of them around here. I remember mostly when I was growing up seeing them at my grandparents' house in Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of them up there, but I just don't remember any around here in Louisiana. Gammy's got a lot of them out in Grand Cane. Mm -hmm. That that was the problem. Like I was apparently a horrible <laughs> child. Anytime I would see them, they'd have to watch me because I would take off. Aww. I'd be like, 
It's but fair. It's they're a glowing cold. bug, dude. Like it's a bug that glows. Right. You know, and so, and it's so neat. <laughs> so you were wondering why they glow. Yeah. What purpose does that serve? You'd figure it'd make it easier for other animals to find you. It probably does, but the need to get it on outweighs the need to not oh, get eaten. Oh, it's so, a mating thing. It is a mating thing. And the flashing pattern is actually species specific and indicates whether or not the individual is able to mate. Now, this can be co-opted for nefarious purposes because the female of the Photurus fireflies actually will flash in the pattern that signifies a female of another species that's willing to mate. And so male fly- fireflies of that species will show up being like, hey, baby, what's up? But then it's just the Photurus firefly who's like, ow, and eats them instead. Oh, <laughs> Well, okay, so serial killers and fireflies are predominantly female. Fair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Taking it back. Species specific. I gotcha. Yeah. So wow. yeah, okay, very cool. species specific. The fireflies know what the flashing pattern indicates, you know, so they can say like, yes, this is a female that I am biologically compatible with and is also in a position to get it on. And so. probably won't eat me. You never know. You never know. <laughs> the male thinks that until it's too late. It's worth it. Worth it, little yep. little male fire. <laughs> do what you got to do, little male firefly. Do your stuff. So your next question was, how? How do they glow? Right. <laughs> and like, and then they turn off. Yes. Like, you know, you get close enough to where you're like, I kind of can see where they are. And then they're like, gone. It's very, so- it's very annoying. <laughs> they're sneaky they are it's the worst so the actual like chemical mechanism behind the glowing is something that i've actually used in a laboratory setting before so for fireflies the way that they glow is that they have an enzyme called luciferase and that's funny if you know what the name lucifer actually means so starlight. like the shining one the shining so, yeah. one yeah starlight something like that yeah, I knew the name in and of itself wasn't evil. The guy was apparently kind of an asshole, but like, you know. Yeah. So like the angelic name for Lucifer, meaning the shining one, is the same basis where you get the word luciferase from. So luciferase is an enzyme that makes things shine. And it takes the molecule luciferin, not very creative to oh. pair the two. <laughs> and then it takes an oxygen, like an O2 oxygen molecule, and an ATP, which we've discussed in the past, is yes. an energy molecule. And then it produces the molecule oxyluciferin and then light. Okay. So there are different like mechanisms that have been proposed as to how the structure of the luciferase enzyme actually affects the spectrum of the emitted light. So actually, there's a lot of different colors that can be emitted through this reaction. Luciferin is not the only substrate for luciferase enzyme. For fireflies, it's most common to use luciferin to oxyluciferin. And I've been able to use that in a laboratory setting because, like I said, it takes the oxygen and luciferin and ATP and then turns it into oxyluciferin and light. So if you want to know how much ATP is in your cells, you just put the luciferin and the luciferase in there. And then however much glowing you get, you can measure that on a machine that measures um, light output. And then you can see how much ATP and energy molecules were in your cells. So So you weren't just trying to make cancer cells glow. There was some science behind that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do that on purpose. Oh my God. Okay. That is actually super cool. I just remember the one time you told me, you're like, I make cancer cells glow. I was like, how bored are you? <laughs> okay. So there's like a point. That's I'll, interesting. I'll okay. Very cool. I'll talk more about scientific uses for glowing as we move forward, but that's that's a way that I've specifically used this luciferase reaction. Basically, it's my like turning all of my cellular assays into tiny little fireflies. And luciferases that come from different organisms actually can emit at different wavelengths. There's a Gaussian luciferase, which is from a zooplankton, is about 470. It emits at a blue light. There's Ranilla luciferase, which glows green. That's from a sea pansy. And then there's red fireflies. Yeah. Oh, Googling. Um, Okay. And then there's actually red fireflies that emit a red light at like 620 nanometers. So you can get a lot of different colors depending on what you need to be observing. Sweet. So cool. So cool. All right. So this is different from another common thing that is in nature and used in the lab, which is fluorescence. Like we said, bioluminescence or luminescence in general is this chemical creation of light through a reaction that takes energy and then emits light as a result. Now, fluorescence is taking in one wavelength of energy and emitting a different wavelength of energy. So the main one I want to talk about first off is jellyfish, because the fluorescent proteins provided to us by jellyfish are crucial in a lot of modern day biological science experiments. The first fluorescent protein that was discovered is creatively named green fluorescent protein. They should let me name stuff. I could do this. I could have this job. Yeah, sometimes it's not that complicated. So it's found in jellyfish. And the way that fluorescence works in these jellyfish is that they absorb blue light and then they emit the green light. Uh-huh, that's why it's called that. Hey. That's why it's called green fluorescent protein. Absolutely. So that particular protein has an excitation wavelength of like 488 nanometers and then emits at like 510-ish nanometers. And there's a lot of variations of this fluorescent protein that have been both discovered in nature and then created through mutations in the lab. So for laboratory reasons, you've got GFP, you've got RFP, which stands for red fluorescent protein. Oh, look, I'm telling you, I need to be allowed to name stuff. You've got YFP, which is yellow fluorescent protein. And you've got CFP, which is cyan fluorescent protein. Why didn't they just Um, think it blue? Yeah. But basically, so it just had to be fancy. I know. It's kind of like when you order printer ink, you don't order blue printer ink. You order cyan and magenta and yellow. Cyan isn't even the prettiest kind of blue. So yeah, fair. What's interesting about these proteins is that, so, like I said, the way they work is they absorb one wavelength of light and emit another. So if you pair two proteins where the emission wavelength of one is the same as the excitation wavelength of another, you can excite, say, cyan fluorescent protein, which will absorb, it absorbs violet light and then emits a blue light. And then the yellow fluorescent protein will absorb that blue light and then emit a yellow light. And so this is really useful in a lot of biochemistry experiments. Because they color code themselves. 
They do color code themselves. And for fluorescence and bioluminescence, it's really handy to be able to say transfect these colors into like organs of a mouse or a frog or something. So you can be able to see what you're doing. But specifically for this, I was going to talk about like the way that you can pair them lets you do a kind of experiment that's called Forster Resonance Energy Transfer or Fluorescence Resonance Energy Transfer. It's called FRET. F-R-E-T. FRET. And... (laughs) Or fluorescence resonance energy transfer. That's great. And so basically, if you put the CFP on one molecule and the YFP on another molecule, the way you know if those two molecules are really close together. They're green. Hmm? Do they turn green? They don't turn green. What what issue is like, so (laughs) remind me to come back to that. Okay. So the way FRET works is that if these molecules are really close together, Say you shine the violet light on the CFP and it emits a blue light, but then the blue light is immediately absorbed by the YFP and then emitted as yellow. So if these are close together, then you'll get the yellow emitted. And if they're not close together, you'll get the blue emitted because the YFP wasn't close enough to absorb that blue light. I think it's very interesting that the yellow is the color absorbing. No, the yellow is absorbing blue light and emitting yellow light. The YFP is absorbing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I just think that's interesting that yellow is the one that dominates over the blue light. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just because that particular protein is going to suck up all the blue light and then emit yellow. Okay, you can cool. do this with others. Like you can pair variants of GFP and RFP together. And there's lots of modifications to these proteins that changes their emission wavelength or changes their excitation wavelength. And so you can pair them in ways to do FRET experiments like this to say like, well, if the initial emission wavelength is emitted, then you know they're not close together. But if that wavelength gets sucked, sucked up by the other protein and then emitted as a different color, then you know it's they're close together. So that's the way that they're used in science. Which is super, yeah, okay, so basically it's it's a way to track stuff. Yeah. Which is cool. And Yeah, exactly. And then like, like you were saying, though, as far as like when you combine things and they make a different color, that can kind of artificially be done where if you tag one protein with GFP and one protein with, say, RFP, and then you, you take two separate pictures, one of the green and one of red, and then just superimpose those pictures and you see if those are in the same spot. So that's, that's something that you can do like artificially with like just looking at the pictures and seeing if they're <laughs> in the same spot. But, that's cool. <laughs> but for FRET, it's a physical, like the light is being absorbed by one protein and being emitted in a different wavelength. So it's pretty cool. And then, like you said, obviously you can transfect these into different organs and then like shine a light on a see-through frog and have its organs glow or whatever. So Which is amazing. And you know, I don't care what you scientists say. I feel like sometimes y'all do stuff just to do that, to be like, I can make frogs glow. Check it out. I know. It, it's <laughs> kind of <laughs> my goal, just like as a home DIY bio project, I've always wanted to make glow-in-the-dark guppies, just guppies in particular, because they have a really fast generation time. But it'd be super easy. And actually, they sell glowfish now. I think they're a zebrafish variant. I'm not sure. But you basically, you put a UV light in the top of the fish tank, and then they glow different colors as a result. So two questions. First of all, zebrafish are the super poisonous ones, right? No, they're normal fish. No, the zebrafish, no, lionfish is what I'm thinking of. Lion, yeah. Okay. okay. But would, does it hurt the guppies to make them glow in the dark? Uh, no. Okay, no. so let's definitely buy some guppies and make glow in the dark guppies and we can name them. I know, them. I want to so bad. I've always wanted to. Like, Okay, so that's going to be a thing we do. That's going to be our next project. <laughs> we're going to natural dye natural dyes, and then we're going to dye guppies. 
Basically, any opportunity you give me to make things different colors, I'm, like, totally here for. Can you make my organs glow? Can you make me glow? Because um, I, I, I am down for that. Like, if you can make parts of me glow, I'm here for it. I would like to lift my shirt and be like, that's my liver. It's <laughs> Where technology is at this point, that would be difficult to do in an adult organism. That's easiest to do by transfecting the protein into an embryo and causing the protein to have organ-specific expression. When you are a blastocyst and you only are made up of like eight cells or whatever, then it's easy to transfect those and not like the billions of cells that make up a person. So you're telling me if I ever get pregnant, you could make my kid glow. I mean, it it's super unethical. Yeah, you'd probably get in big trouble. But like, just hypothetically, I could have a glowing baby. Yeah. See, that would definitely make me a lot more interested in having children if I knew I could have one that glue in the dark. <laughs> Be easy to keep track of them, right? Yeah, right. You'd never lose it. Yeah. Which I child mean, yours? That one. The one that like everyone's screaming and running away from. <laughs> <laughs> that child is mine. Uh but yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of ethical concerns about that. Like the first genetically engineered babies that were engineered via CRISPR last year were faced with a lot of controversy, even though the way that they were genetically engineered was to not express a protein that would facilitate them getting HIV. And so the goal was to make people that would be resistant to HIV infection. And yet there was still a lot of backlash about that because... CRISPR's very early days in being applied to humans, you know, so. Yeah. Um, Always better to be cautious when you're doing things to humans. But conceptually, I believe you could. There are definitely glow-in-the-dark rabbits, at least, if not higher organisms. The rabbits have been around for a while. I don't know the highest organism they've gotten up to so far. Google oh, Google. <laughs> oh, my God. It comes up when I Googled it. Okay. Oh my God. They glow green. That okay. That's horrifying. So yeah. So GFP. Oh, I do really not want one of these. So every time I told you that I was making my cancer cells glow, I was making them glow with a variant of GFP. Is the is that the easiest type? The green stuff. Yeah. It, I mean, it's the most extensively studied. It's probably not really any easier to manipulate than like RFP, but it's. Very extensively studied. Like I said, it was the first fluorescent protein that was discovered. And it's just, it's super convenient to work with. Do dogs come and glow in the dark? No, they do not. That's unfortunate. Yeah. No, like I, I said, rabbits, rabbits is the highest organism I know of, but I think I think they did that a long time ago. So I don't know what they're up to now. <laughs> unfortunately, I do not see options for glow in the dark dogs. You should check for like maybe cats and pigs. I did. I see something that looks like a glow-in-the-dark cat, but it could just be a white cat in black light. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> so, outside of the lab, there are actually a lot of animals that do fluoresce. Oh. So, not not the ones that glow like we were talking, like that luminous, like we were talking about earlier, but actually fluoresce. Some of the most awesome of those that I found, the first one is scorpions, which <gasps> I feel like very convenient if scorpions would please glow in the dark. Because yes, please do it. Spiders should glow. Scorpions should glow. All of that should glow. So some spiders and insects also do glow. But the scorpions, if you see a picture of them, like I wanted to talk about them because their pictures are amazing. You should Google like fluorescent scorpions. They're really cool. So they actually absorb UV light and then emit a blue-green light. And that, oh, that is, is so pretty. It is. I mean, it's like... They look fake. They look like toys. That is gorgeous. 
So there's a layer called the hyaline layer in their their cuticle or exoskeleton. And that is what absorbs the UV light and then emits it as this kind of cool, really bright blue-green. And scientists are apparently divided as to why this might be a thing. They Some say maybe it helps them see whether or not there is UV light present and that would indicate if they are in shelter or not, like if they are in direct sunlight or not. Or maybe it helps to kind of absorb the UV light and repurpose it so that it avo- you avoid UV damage from extensive time in the sun. Yeah. Or maybe it just helps them find each other or confuses prey or who knows what. So basically no one knows. Those are just sure. kind of the best ideas people had. Nice. I'm like literally Googling all these animals and I'm just completely fascinated. Okay. Get ready to Google some more. Okay. So, get on it. Go. Google fluorescent platypus. This is a You've got to be getting kidding. No. Okay. Platypi are already the most insane creatures on the planet. But Oh yeah, no, God was drunk. He was drinking, something happened, and he was like, here's some leftovers. Oh my what color is that? And this was super recent. So this was actually only public like this finding was published in October of 2020 this year. And so basically, uh, again, they absorb UV light and their fur, parts of it glow green, parts of it glow purple. It's really amazing. They're super cool. Their beaks glow green. Their bellies glow purple. It's so cool. What? What? And that's what I'm looking at. Like, what is happening? What? These things are like the strangest animals. What is... Like, I'm a little creeped out by platypi. I'm just not even going to lie to you. Like, they, they creep me. And they're also poisonous. Yes. So it's like, we need an animal that is... It's... Part, part duck, animal, part beaver. Duck. It's yeah, got a beaver's tail, but also it's got venomous spines on its hind legs. But also, it glows in the dark and lays eggs. Like, who knows? Yeah, it's like I do what I want. Screw you. Platypi do what they want. That's oh for my sure. god, so over it, so over it. So it actually becomes a theme that the ridiculous Australian mammals actually glow in the dark. So even more recently than this platypus discovery is wombats. So wombats are super cool. They are so much bigger than I thought they were. You- oh, yeah, they're they're huge. They're huge. Oh, my God. I would have they're thought big. wombats were like medium dog sized at best, but they are way bigger than I thought they were. So huge. <laughs> but anyway, so this was literally discovered last month, November 2020. Wombats also glow in the dark. They they fluoresce under UV light. I think it's kind of a bluish purple kind of color. And yep, that's exactly what they look like. They are adorable. Their fur glows, and I think maybe even their skin glows. So for some of these that we're going to talk about, their fur glows, and for some of them, it's their skin that glows. So it can be different. I am fascinated. And this is like this is a hot off the press discovery. So it hasn't been studied very much. But platypus one managed to be published. The wombat one is just still in the like popular news because it's brand new, but they're not the only ones. So also echidnas, also bandicoots, bandicoots glow pink. They kind of look like a shrew and then possums, not American possums, opossums, but like Australian are way cuter than our possums. Um, You know, I did. Okay. Now look, our possums aren't ugly. No, they're not. I love them to death. I honestly think they're adorable, but Australian possum possums are a little more conventional. They are. They're yeah. They look less terrifying. They're not little scramble boys. No, no, they're not. They're they're better. They're they're a little better. Yeah. 
And then, like I said, so for those, I think it's their fur that glows, but then there's bilbies, which are another Australian animal. They're kind of this, you should Google a bilby. They're like weird mouse rabbit things. They they like, look, kind of look like mice, but then they have these huge ears, but they don't look like rabbits. So you should Google a bilby. That for them, it's their skin that glows. So there's a surprising abundance of fluorescent Australian mammals. What? Australia's just so weird, dude. Yeah, I mean, no offense if we eventually get Australian listeners, but y'all crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Australia is, like, on my bucket list of, like, places I want to go. Like, it's it's in the top three. Like, I want to go to Sydney, Australia so bad it's not even funny. But I feel like occasionally, like, you know, like, you just look at the animals and you're like, what happened in Australia? Is this what happens when you just, like, put everything on one continent? We're like, ah, it'll figure it out. Right. Everything's, like, really isolated and just, like. Most dangerous animals in the world, and now they glow in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Because why not? But sometimes this can actually be useful. So bats sometimes glow in the dark, but actually they tend to glow if they have white nose syndrome. So white nose syndrome is a fungus that is attacking bat populations and has led to the demise of many, many bat colonies, really decimated a lot of bat populations. And so there's a lot of scientific effort ongoing to combat white-nose syndrome in bats. And one way that scientists have figured out that they can identify infected bats is that the ones that have white-nose syndrome actually will fluoresce a orange-yellow color if you shine a UV light on them. And so they develop these really small skin lesions all over like their face, maybe their wings, I'm not sure, but definitely their face. And those lesions will glow an orange yellow under UV light. And that's how they can identify the infected bats. So it's really cool. Bats are adorable, by the way. Bats are adorable. And I'm literally having the most fun in this podcast because you're actually giving me cute stuff to Google. Yes, this is, I was like, this will be a better Googly experience than this is a very good Christmas present. If this is your Christmas present to me, I'm actively enjoying it. Like I just keep Googling like glow in the dark animals and I'm like, okay, this is so cool. But it's also interesting, kind of like you said, like, you know, like the function of the glowing. Right. There's a, there's a variety. Like people don't know, like sometimes it's to attract a mate. Sometimes it's to confuse prey or predators. You know, there's lots of different reasons one might glow. No one has any ideas about the wombats and the platypi yet. Well, no, that's Australia, though. We just, we accept it. It's just part of it. Eventually, Australia's going to take, if if zombies attack, zombies are going to leave Australia alone. Under why? Just write Australia. That's Australia. Why? Like, no one messes with Australia. Australia can handle its own. It's like, Australia's like, why not? Our animals want to glow in the dark. We, like, allow them freedom of expression, because why not? Yep. So what what about animals, and this could be completely off topic, what about like, I just had this thought, because I looked up glowing animals, and one of the first things that came up was, of course, the electric eagle. Sure, sure, sure. That's not bioluminescence, though. Those aren't Christmas light animals. Do they actually glow, or do they just emit electricity? Maybe they just explode in electricity. I'm actually not sure. That just came up when I was Googling electric animals, or glowing animals. Yeah, I'm actually not sure. I didn't see them on like any of my lists. I know electric eels are super cool. I believe they have specific glands that help them produce the electricity. I am not sure. And I would love to kind of do a deeper dive into that on a future episode. So maybe we'll save electric eels 
yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if they in particular have any sort of bioluminescence. It seems like it would not be efficient because while the luminescence, especially bioluminescence, is caused by a change in like electron excitation states, I don't know that that is the same way that the electricity of an eel, electric eel is emitted. But the only fun fact I have about electric eels is that there is... One of the really big aquariums has a Twitter account that is tied to their electric eel tank. And every time their electric eel emits an electric pulse, it posts a Twitter post that's like buzz or zap. Or oh my God. <laughs> it's the cutest thing. Wait, where is this? Because I need to follow them. I like literally just discovered Twitter. I know I'm like 10 years late to the conversation. It looks like it's the Tennessee Aquarium in Chattanooga. And it produces enough voltage to create tweaks. That's amazing. His name, the eel's name is Miguel Watson. Yeah, he is. He needs a very official name. Miguel Watson needs a very official name. Watson with two T's, like the electricity. Oh, okay. Because of course someone had to go there. Yes, absolutely. You know what? I appreciate it. I appreciate the pun game. Pun game hard. He lives at the Tennessee Aquarium in Chattanooga. Yep, I'm following him, following this dude on Twitter right now. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I heard about him a while back that his Twitter account just tweets zap whenever he's like, <laughs> firing of his electricity. Oh my God, that's great. I love it so much. Okay, so what else do you have on Glow Glow? Not actually much else because the third category is phosphorescence. And that's the one that lasts a long time though, right? It is, but I didn't find a lot online that was actually genuine phosphorescence that for a living organism. So most of the examples when you're looking at phosphorescence all describe non-living things like we talked about before, like watch dials and glow-in-the-dark paint. Most of the things I saw online that were described as phosphorescent were actually fluorescent or bioluminescent. So I feel like this is an often misattributed term. Okay. So I don't really have any good in- information on phosphorescence in living organisms. So the two main categories, I think, as a takeaway, are going to be bioluminescence, things that can generate their own light without external input, and then fluorescence, which takes one wavelength of light and emits a different wavelength. So I think those are our two main categories of lights out in nature. Lights out in nature. I'm here for it. That was awesome. And I was so excited. We did an episode on fireflies because they're my favorite bugs. Yay. And I didn't even know we were going to do an episode on fireflies. I'm very excited. <laughs> and I probably didn't know they were your favorite bugs. So. My fa- yeah. Well, see, it's it, I have, like I said, I have a strange relationship with fireflies. I've been chasing them since I was three, wanting to like understand them. And they just don't want to let me. It's very rude. It's very rude. So if you don't have anything else on beautiful glowing bugs... what about a mental health minute for the week? So my mental health minute was just going to be that as we are approaching the holidays, I understand that it can be a particularly difficult time for people who are struggling with either missing a loved one or having your own struggles with your own mental health or maybe family difficulties. And this year, as some people choose to not visit family for health and safety reasons. It can be really hard. And I just wanted to use the mental health minute to say that you may be missing someone and that may be really hard. And I understand, but 
if they're worth missing, then it means that they cared about you. And the best way to honor their memory is to take care of yourself. And if you care about them and they deserve that, then they cared about you. And so missing someone is not a reason to value yourself, your own health, either physically or mentally, any less. And I just want to say that you're worth taking care of. I, I know that's that's hard as when it comes to Christmas, our focus becomes really external. We think about what we can give to other people and sometimes even giving to other people becomes an obligation and it stops becoming about just the joy of showing someone that you care. But if the person you care about isn't there anymore, that doesn't mean that you can't be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And this you're, you're worth happiness too. Ooh, Erica with some power this morning. I like that one. That's a good one. You, you know, you matter. Yeah. Mattering matters and you matter. That's a good one. I like that. And I'm going to go almost the complete opposite direction with that and tell you that you might have family here and there might be a situation where you can see family, but to make sure that you understand that blood does not make family. And at the end of the day, holidays aren't an excuse to sacrifice your mental health, to be around people who aren't going to value you the way that you deserve to be valued. And that to remind yourself that if you have set a boundary, then there is a reason that you set that boundary and that you don't have to justify to anyone in your life why you continue to hold that boundary, especially if the people that you're holding it against aren't willing to meet you halfway. So um, I'm going to kind of echo Erica to remind you that you matter. Um, I matter, Erica matters, and you matter. And uh, to hold firm to that this Christmas um, or Hanukkah or there's like there's a thousand other holidays. I'm not religious. So but yeah, but ha- but holidays during this holiday season, I'm going to say instead of Christmas, this holiday season that you matter and that holding boundaries and remembering your worth. All of those things are very important during this holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. That's And go look at Christmas lights. Take yourself to look at Christmas lights. That is a socially distanced activity. Go stare at other people's really cool Christmas lights, and maybe you'll see some fireflies. I don't know. Go see something shiny. It helps. Yeah. Don't try to catch them, though, because the fireflies are jerks, and they blink out the second you get near them. So, you know, it's just you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Don't do that. They are lighting up to try and get laid, and they do not need you interfering with that process. I just wanted to ask some questions. (laughs) Maybe we shouldn't be publicly trying to get laid. There are rules about indecency. So I refuse to be shamed by some fireflies. Very personally offended. Just so you guys know, you can still hit us up at our email, which is southernsciencechicks at gmail.com or in our social media. Yes, Facebook and Instagram, both at Southern Science Chicks. Which is awesome. And Erica's going to be posting pictures of her family's really cool, like, light display, which, honestly, I haven't seen, which kind of bothers me. I'm like, how did I not know that this was a thing? Um, I still thought y'all did the giant tree. So, pretty cool. Yeah. I'll I'll post a picture of Katie being fascinated by jellyfish. Oh, yeah. It's a 10-year-old photo, but I definitely have it. Oh, yeah. Also, and I will do the stereotypical podcast shout-out for rates and reviews, again, only because when you search for our name, We are far down the list of things that pop up when you search for Southern Science. So I'm just going to ask for a little bit of help with the uh, getting us a little more recognized. So 
Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us a little more recognition. Maybe we can make some new episodes. Also, please give us ideas for episodes because otherwise Erica's just going to start spiraling into like how to make alcohol because that's basically where my mind's been lately. I'm like, how do you make wine? How do you make beer? How do you make vodka? Also, can we make vodka? (laughs) Well, we're going to cover how wine works for your birthday, but I think we are going to cover how beer works next week when we do our New Year's episode. Hey, here for it episode is going to be about yeast so it will cover both bread making and beer so. i'm so here for it so here for it so excited okay so we will see y'all next week bye everybody all right bye do you ever tell the friends we knew that you